Between the world's friends, and I am your host, Aaron Duffy Oswald. Welcome, guests, to Just Like Magic. I am joined today by Amanda Virgily Young. She is a writer, a creative mentor, a shamanic practitioner, and a self-actualization guide. Amanda's work centers around healing, and I love this, holding of the fragmented creative process through remembering and revitalizing more circular rhythms of living and working. She guides others into intimate reciprocal relationships with the wild earth, as well as their innermost journey of personal transformation in order to encounter and enact their soul gifts for the benefits of all. She founded Bombalore.com in 2015 as a virtual home for the numinous and crucial works of finding our truest expression amidst the immense planetary times that we are living through. And she offers one-on-one mentoring sessions, workshops, as well as she has a brand new membership space called Threshold, which is a sanctuary for creative well-being and soul alchemy. Such richness, such goodness, such just authentic fabulousness. And I am so thrilled to have Amanda joining us today on Just Like Magic. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. So let's just dive right into the topic of magic. The first thing I want to talk to you about is just lay a little bit of the foundation for your journey as a a soulful person in this lifetime. How did you find yourself as a practitioner of magic? What does that that spiritual journey look like for you? Thanks, Erin. That is such a juicy question. I think the first thing that I want to say is, I think when things got really rich for me were was when I realized that this path, this magical path could look so many different ways. And in fact, my way would, would not look the same as anyone else's way on the entire planet. And that through owning that and stepping into the terror and also the potential of that, I might find actually my people with whom I could really connect. For me, magic has always had to do with a couple of things, deep connection with the planet, like a personal relationship with the world around us, Uh, a sharp eye for inexplicable coincidences or synchronicities, signs and omens, which I think have unfortunately come to sound like something really esoteric and far out. But the truth is all indigenous cultures really lived this way. They were always reading the land, reading the weather, watching, tracking, stalking, and being tracked and being stalked by And so magic for me is also that really honoring what we see happening, tuning into it. And then I also feel like for me, magic is is a lot to do with freedom, like the ability to choose our lives, choose our livelihoods. And so all of those things swirled around me and were like the impetus for me to, to start asking questions that were not so common to the mainstream and to find others who could ask me and challenge me with those kinds of questions and also just be on the journey with me. And I think what I'll say lastly about magic in my journey is 
I think we all have like this deep desire to do what we came here to do, to embody who we are on a soul level, that part of us that is just an unbelievable miracle that has an intelligence aided by our ego, but truly mystical in nature. And so that's what drove me and and continues to drive me and my work is like, who am I? And what am I here to do? What am I up to? And, And magic being really a wild guide in answering those questions. Mm, beautiful. So has this, has magic, has this guiding force of magic been something that has stayed with you throughout? Because so much of what you were just describing sounds to me like the natural state of being as a child. And Mm -hmm. so in my mind is like, has this been with you all along? Has this stayed with you or was it discovered at a certain point? Or did you have as so many people do, a reunification with this force of magic. Oh, yeah. It's it's both and. Like, it's always been there. And I also had to get really lost and away from it, really far from trusting it before I found my way back. And I look to frankly, a culture that wherein it's rare to find the support for a magical life, a mystical life. And so it's very hard when we feel this yearning that you, like you say, is natural in childhood. It's very hard to to stay with it and withstand the messaging that starts to come in that it's just your imagination or don't be woo or it's just a dream. So I've had a long and winding path. Yeah. I think in so many of the of the people I talk to who are living an animist perspective life or a magical life or are doing work as shamanic practitioners, it's almost like part of our initiation process to take a reverse hero's journey in a way to wander <laughs> away from it and really immerse ourselves in our contemporary culture and and maybe even like the ills of our society so that we get a very intimate understanding of a different facet of life. And then we circle back into our practice. It's usually some type of a crisis moment that brings us to our knees and, and, and sends us back to what we know, what we know is true, what we call a spiritual home. And that certainly was the case for me in my practice. And also, and I'm wondering if any of this was true for you as well, I think I was a little bit afraid of my magical gifts. And then I had to get older to understand how to, to learn to not be afraid of them and also how to wield them, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of something actually one of my guides said recently, which is doubt makes an honest warrior. We can go out and live way out in the wilderness of ourselves, of magic, of esoteric living, of whatever you want to call it. But at some point, if we want to be of use to our people, we're going to have to come back into town. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what you're touching on, that process of actually having to either abandon it or be ripped from it or in some way just not be connected with it in order to be an honest warrior down the road. For me, there was kind of like a few crises. I'm going to speak about one today that was super initiatory and over a a many year period. So I'm just going to take a moment and bring the story in, invite this tale close into us. So several years ago, I found myself stirred to a new level of self-expression, specifically one that felt to me much more magical than any way I'd been, and much more public. Specifically, I was writing an ebook that had to do with nature connection and, yeah, finding the magic in our process. And I was feeling pretty on edge about it. 
And so I took a, a journey, a deep imagery, or what we might call it a shamanic journey. This is a, had already been a practice for a long time for me, although it was one that at that time was still very hidden, very private, very secret. And I journeyed to a spirit, to a, a guide of mine to ask like, if I might have some help in this self-expression. And I was carried off into the sky and I was I was plopped down in front of eagle, eagle spirit, bald eagle spirit. And I was pretty scared because <laughs> this is a, a mega spirit guide, right? Mm-hmm. And eagle spirit proceeded to teach me to hunt. And I had to hunt and I had to find these mice and I had to like eat them. And it was very intense. I'd never had a journey like this. And then... Eagle spirit said, you need to hunt for your self-worth. And we flew over the plains and down below, I saw this little red heart man with skinny little legs and arms running around. And I knew that that was my self-worth, frantic outside of myself, skinny and in need of love and direction. So I scooped him up in my talons and I was really scared that I was going to have to like devour him. But Eagle said, no, this one you, you take into your heart. And it was really a moving journey. And I thanked Eagle and I, I went to make my way out of the other world. And on my way, who pops out creepily from behind a tree, but the Baba Yaga Now, if you don't know who the Baba Yaga is, she's the old hag spirit, the death dealer, the change maker, known for her sort of what I call joy noir, her kind of slightly sadistic sense of humor, all in the effort to help us grow. And she pops out from behind the tree and she just says, all you need is one eagle feather. And I'm thinking as I come out of the journey, I have no clue what this means. But I set myself to really looking into my self-worth right after that. And for the next few days, I was really immersed in that work. About four days later, some family came to visit us and uh, they had just come from seeing someone who cares for some sacred land nearby, some wild land. And I was walking by the table and I saw an envelope on the table with what looked like a feather sticking out. And my heart literally was in my mouth. I, 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 I <laughs> like it was, I didn't know what kind of feather it was, but, but just, it felt so, so powerful, my whole body. So I, I asked my family member who's such a lovely soul, what is this feather? And she says, Oh, she picks it up. She pulls out a bald eagle feather. And she says, yes, so there are many bald eagles that live on my brother's land and he finds the feathers often and he gifted me one. And it's really sacred, really precious. And I was just completely floored and I couldn't, couldn't stop hearing Baba Yaga's voice, all you need is one eagle feather. And I felt lucky that this feather had just passed through my home. But then she reached in the envelope and she pulled out a smaller one and said, he gave me two and this one's for you. (laughs) Now, I just want to say that never, I had never even come across one. Obviously they're quite sacred. I I'd never seen one in real life. So it's, extraordinarily important to note that the bald eagle is sacred to indigenous Americans and it's no small thing to be in possession of an eagle feather and in fact it's illegal. I am uh, deeply aware of the sacredness of this whole story and the feather itself. I've done my best uh, according to my own indigenous Celtic tradition and through reciprocal relationship with the land to deeply honor Eagle and the medicine bestowed to me by way of of this great creature's presence in my life. 
And I expected him ready to pass this particular feather back into the hands of Native Americans in a sacred manner and trust that I will be led to the most aligned opportunity in which to do so. For me to move forward in a sacred way kind of must include the sharing of this story and deep listening, deep listening to the stories of traditions, not my own, sensing where they're interwoven by the great web of life in which we all move and are moved. First of all, thank you so much for sharing your journey. Journeys are so intimate and personal and I always feel very humbled and honored when someone shares journey experience. Second of all, this is my favorite kind of story because I absolutely love when non-ordinary reality and ordinary reality merge into one another in inexplicable ways. And it's just so, it, in my experience, it's not usually this direct. It's not usually, mm -hmm. although I, do, I have a story I want to share with you that this has inspired me to tell you. But that piece of Baba Yaga popping up at the end that was the addendum, as, as so often is in Journey, it's like the relay baton because it's often just handed off. And then a continuation of handing off and handing off until you circle back many times through journey space and through guides. And one guide will pass you to the next guide. But the, the powerful, amazing part of this, that relay, that baton being handed off to you from as you left non-ordinary reality and then literally being handed back to you as an eagle feather in ordinary reality four days later, that must have been... <laughs> Why a moment do you remember just the embodied feelings of what was going through your mind and your body and your heart when this was happening in ordinary reality right yeah I think that's a great question because while it was incredibly exciting and somehow deeply affirming it was also terrifying I think that sometimes our most mystical encounters they are that. In fact, that's in some ways what we, how we know that something is up, something is happening. So it was like a little out of body. And I think what happened in the, in, what continues in the story is in some ways a story of embodiment, but it was thrilling, <laughs> but it was intense. Eagle medicine, first of all, is just, it's very intense. One doesn't even allow small children near certain feathers and eagle is one of them. Mm -hmm. And it, it reminded me of what you said in the beginning, that the quote that your one of your teachers recently gave you, one of your guides, of uh, about the the humble warrior. Could you repeat that? Doubt, doubt makes a honest warrior. It's in that same vein of the medicine is very powerful, and I think that humility is just a huge part of all of this work and knowing mm -hmm. our place in it and honoring and the reverence. Part. It can be quite terrifying when it does circle back and you are faced with it. I, I pride myself a bit on going through six years of Catholic school and not retaining much of the Bible, but I do in my mind have like the echoes of stories of people quaking in these moments mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. divine presence and of divinity. And it's right. a fine line between ecstasy and, and terror. Right. Right. Yeah. And magic is real, right? Yeah. So we, we have to be so thoughtful and the earth wants to activate us. So when we say yes, in one of many ways, in, in a way, magic is a saying yes. And so the earth responds, <laughs> the cosmos responds. So you got to put your seatbelt on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I took a little turn at podcasting in 2016 and I had a, a little podcast called your or, or what was it practical magic for interesting times and it was a backdrop of the astrological weather against contemporary events and looking back one can see how that easily proved to be way too overwhelming and I decided to to bow out from that but I would sign off saying your magic is powerful your magic is real yeah 
And the point was, of course, to remind myself of that, but to also to remind listeners of that, that our point of power in the now is always ever present and we can choose to wield that with intention. And magic does not need to be a, a huge ceremonial affair, although it certainly can be. But the older I've gotten and the longer I've been a practitioner going oh, over two decades now, I find myself really just trying to work with the tools I come with, meaning my mind and my body mm-hmm. and, and really trying to channel attention that way. And I think that's one of the Reasons in particular why I find journey work to be really where it's all at for me. Yeah, so many amazing things have come through in journey experience. And and many yeah. of them are not mine to tell because I do a lot of journey work on behalf of clients. But mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of magic moments in between me bringing the journey back to my client and my clients explaining what those pieces and parts are all about. And I, I can't explain how it works, but I just know that there is like some kind of web of spirit that is holding us together. The mystery, the mystery. Yeah. I also just will say that for me, journey work is a main, main artery for me into uh, those energies. And I cherish it. I also love deep imagery work, which I see as a little bit different and I feel it's accessible to everyone. And I do believe that our ancestors way back for some of us, like you and I, us Celts, but did in fact, many folks did use these, these ways of communing with mystery. Can you talk a little bit about what you see the difference between the deep imagery practice and what that is and the journey work practice? Sure. I can speak to it for me. And I I have friends and colleagues who see it a little bit differently. So I'll just say that first. But for me, I first learned a journeying from a Huichol elder shaman. And so he called it household shamanism, which I love, basically meaning like this is an accessible way of journeying involving using a drum, involving entering other worlds, other realms, upper world, lower world, underworld, I'm sorry, middle world, through the mist or through an opening in a tree, right? Like there's a, there's a way in, there's a way out. And usually with the assistance of a power animal and by way of drumming, right? So drumming changes like our brain chemistry, it drops us in with the heartbeat of the earth and it induces like a trance state. Deep imagery for me, can have some of those same things like going in through the mist or door, potentially having an animal guide, but not necessarily. Like I think you can do deep imagery work without one. And deep imagery work, you might just be guided to suddenly be in the vast night sky, notice what you're noticing, see what you're seeing. It might be more guided. And it doesn't have drums with it or really beat-based music. That might seem like a small differentiation, but for me, it's actually a really big one. And I also will just say, I think it's the intention. So although when I first journeyed, I sometimes would not know what I was journeying for, and that would (laughs) lead to all kinds of interactions. But for me, especially nowadays, like journey is like, I'm on a mission. Like I'm going with a question mm-hmm. and I'm, and I'm not leaving until I have an answer it with utter respect, but it's like, I really, I have a reason for going deep imagery is more exploratory. So that's, does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. It does. I think uh, it's, it reminds me of the Jungian idea of active imagination, which yeah. does play into my journey work some, especially if things are stalling out a bit. And I'll do this with with beginner journey students or with people that I'm working with who it's it's it is a mystical process, but also it's it's not like I'm just sitting down in a movie theater and watching a grand cinematic thing. Right. Right. Although it is rather cinematic, but sometimes I need to turn the projector back on (laughs) or kick that into um, high gear or, or 
posit another question and say, is there anything else yeah. I need to know while I'm here? Or is there another guide yeah. I can be taken to? Or Yeah. And that's what I mean. That sort of, so that's beautiful. Actually, that's a beautiful distinction. It's like the deep imagination is crucial for the journey work, whether you've done it with someone or whether you're just drawing on your own deep imagination. So deep imagination work is interwoven. And certainly that's a great place to start, especially if you feel a little nervous around journeying with the drum and all that, or if you've tried journeying with the drum and have had trouble getting there. What are your thoughts or your experience about entheogenic journey practice? I, when I was younger, I did a lot of un- guided ethnogenic journey work. And for me, it ended in a lot of incomplete initiations. And so my one thing with that is that, yeah, it's holy, it's sacred, find, find the right container to do it and and be held in, in your process with it. I think it's I think it's a gift from the earth. I absolutely, because of my personal past, I'm really focused on non-ethnogenic journeying, but I think that it's, I I know (laughs) from experience that there are certain journeys that I took in that way that changed my life, even though I didn't have the support. And those ones were always the ones that happened out in the wild, out in the, like I was way out in nature, maybe with some friends. So the mm-hmm. wild ones were looking after me, but. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, I always encourage myself and others to develop the muscles for journey work and trance that is just of the vessel itself, of this body itself that, we don't require um, assistance, but if we are going to do that and participate with a plant ally, not to be casual about that and to develop relationship, it's always about developing relationship and, and cultivating connection between self and whatever it is, if it's a deity that you want to work with, or if it is the spirit of cacao, if you're going to ingest cacao and do journey work there. I would love to have a little bit of a more of a definition for our listeners who don't understand what an incomplete initiation is. That's a good question. I'm thinking in my mind of what is a complete initiation, and that's certainly not easy either to answer. However, In many indigenous cultures, there comes a time, usually in young adulthood, where one goes on some sort of uh, vision quest, or one is given a set of tasks by the elders or by the universe, by nature, in order to help them understand, discover, uncover their soul gifts, their special way of belonging to the world, to use Bill Plotkin's words, who is an incredible depth psychologist that I've learned so much from around growing up in soul-centric ways. And so without those kind of really intentional rituals in our culture built in, to use Bill's words again, actually, like he would say, like, we will look for them ourselves, Like our soul will look for these kind of dangerous, juicy ways in to knowing who we are. But without the containers, which we mentioned before, without safety, without structure, without the relationships that you spoke of being built, which by the way is very sound advice to cultivate these relationships before you go on the quest, right? The vision quest, the without that, What happens a lot is we gain some insight, we might learn something amazing, we might even have a total revolution within, but it's very hard to come back and integrate it into our lived lives. So I guess the incomplete part is is it doesn't get integrated into our lives. It doesn't get honored by the community as a formative event in one's life. Interesting. Okay. And we're already at a disadvantage because of the lack of ritual in our culture and the lack of communal rites of passage and experience 
in fact, the lack of community for many people. Yeah, we're, we're really operating without the guidance of elders or without traditional initiation processes. Like you said, there's a lot of ways people look for that. <laughs> back mm-hmm. to Baba Yaga again. Maybe. Okay, so yes, I think that I can think back to certain chaotic experiences in adolescence and early adulthood of just not knowing what I was exactly playing with or myself involved with and Mm -hmm. or witnessing that in others. So right now there's this amazing, I think it's not so much a renaissance as because I think the way has been paved. I came of age and did my initiation in maybe like 1998 or 1997 or something. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. And I, I look to the younger generations and they're, unabashed willingness to be out and about as their magical selves. And on the Mm -hmm. one hand, I'm just like in awe of it. And on the other hand, there's this kind of like strange thing that they haven't been tempered through the same processes and therefore just inherently lack certain appreciation. So I feel it's really important. That's part of what the mission of Just Like Magic is, is to help provide context help to continue to like throw out some breadcrumbs for people to deepen their own initiatory practices. And I would love it if you maybe had a little kernel of wisdom or some advice or something like you wish you knew when you started out that maybe we can bless someone else with that knowledge today. One thing I'll say is maybe there's a sense that they haven't been tempered in the ways that we were because it wasn't really acceptable even 20 years ago. But one thing I'll say is they, they'll be tempered. Like the younger people will be tempered because that is the way. And to expect it, to expect it to happen numerous times, the tempering. But I would say if I offered, if I had to offer something to maybe a younger one who's feeling that, that draw, that allurement to to danger, to magic, to, to first and foremost, to be really honest with yourself that that's what you're feeling. I feel drawn to something big here. And, and uh, I want to, I want to really honor, honor that like need for adventure call for, you know, that, that, that that's real. And then I, oh gosh, I, 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 I feel like there's more, but I, I need to think about it for a second. Yeah. We can circle back to that. I want to share a story with you for a second of one of my really beautiful overlaps between non-ordinary reality and ordinary reality. I was leading a circle of a, a weekly Sunday beginner journey circle. And I typically don't go as deep as I did when I'm leading a journey. But this time I really went very quickly and very fast into the lower world. And I can't remember all of the details, but I was brought to Bear. Bear is one of, Bear, Bear is my totem. Bear is my, my main girl. So I, I was like, okay, we're here for something important today. What is, what's happening? And I presented my question to Bear and it was along the lines of something I was trying to manifest. So Bear was telling me that I, different tools for embodiment practice that I could do. And often when, when one is in journey, especially with a trusted guide like Bear, who is, as I said, that's my, my main girl, I am all too eager. Like I don't have... I don't have any fear if Bear wants to dismember me or do any of the things that bears can do because I, I always know I'm, we have this trust and I know that the, the, the dismemberment is always needed and necessary. So Bear presented a very large claw to me and went in towards my neck and I thought, okay, here we go. I'm willing to receive this medicine. And Bear just plunged their claw straight into my neck, like right above my clavicle and just punctured my neck with the bear claw around my neck. And that was it. That was all. I can't remember any other details from the journey, but the next day, the very next day, my husband surprised me and presented me with a bear claw necklace. Yeah. Yeah. Can't make this stuff up. No, can't make this (laughs) stuff up. 
<laughs> yeah, that was it was a beautiful gift he gave me for the completion of my certification in my earth medicine program. He had been waiting for it. It was just a random Monday. So yeah, not expecting that whatsoever. Yeah. And here it is, the bear claw necklace. Aha, aha. So there's always this factor of time too, I think that often needs to be put into the equation because just to do with the nature of the dimension that we live in and then traveling into other time-space realities and then coming back here and mm-hmm. it just needs to align. It just all needs to match up every once mm-hmm. in a while. But when it does, when those non-ordinary reality and ordinary reality match up like that, I think it's my favorite thing in the mm-hmm. whole world. <laughs> yeah. Even even if it's terrifying. Even if it's terrifying. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if it has to do with dismemberment and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a powerful story. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. That's a fun one to share. That one is they're not often quite as direct and just, yeah, no room for confusion there. The wordplay is, is really fun. I noticed that too. The wordplay is often very, mm-hmm. very literal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not in a way I would have put it together. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a good point to make. A lot of times things are, or I would even say most of the time, things are a bit more mysterious. And and, and the truth is, even though I received the eagle feather. I still didn't know what it meant. I still didn't understand what I was being shown. I couldn't get my, my mind around that still. I just had to receive with grace, as much grace as I could muster, and wait, and wait, and wait. What about that process would you be willing to share in terms of the discovery of what it meant? I think the best would be to, to tell you a little more of the story, to continue the story a little more, and it, it might just answer your question. So a year and a half, a year and a half after receiving the eagle feather, I found myself in a time of great confusion. The self-expression that I was activating was also activating all of my woundedness. And I was spiraling about, about it all. And I couldn't, I was getting, yeah, really lost and confused in my work and, 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 and those questions, who am I, what am I here to do? And so I'll never forget this day. I just sat myself down in front of a mirror on the floor, like a full length mirror. And I spoke from my heart about all this confusion and this sense that there was like much more for me, but I just couldn't access or touch it. And I also had a very ominous feeling at this time and I couldn't understand it. It was like an ominous, but also a a feeling of great potential. And it was really unnerving for me feeling. So a few days later, I was actually journeying for a client and at the end of the journey, (laughs) who pops out again, (laughs) not there to talk about myself, is a Baba Yaga. And I hadn't seen her much since that day, a year and a half before. And she says some this and that. And then she says, and by the way, I'm going to apprentice you for the next seven moons. So that's a really scary thing because you don't say no to the Baba Yaga. And yet it was also really amazing because I never had that experience in a journey. And I think this has to do with that deep imagination you spoke to before where you learn to get really open. You learn to use your imagination to get really open in a journey so that you can receive whoever it is has the medicine for you. So I came out of that journey thrilled, excited, terrified. And a month later, my mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. I found out while I was decorating my son's birthday cake that she was ill And a few weeks later, the diagnosis and literally my whole entire world in an instant just shattered. And in the ensuing months, which were so difficult, nevertheless, I found myself dutifully going to Baba Yaga's hut 
week after week in this apprenticeship and learning very mystical things, esoteric things, hard, like you said before, things that didn't, I, I, I couldn't make sense of. It was more just, it was almost like she was filling my body with like, I guess an initiation that, that you can do this with the strength, with the, with, and also with the wisdom that death is not the end. <clears throat> and she helped me accept it. She helped me accept this, this horrific thing that we were going through as a family. My mom was you know, just in her sixties. It was just really hard. And then about eight months later, my mom called me on Sawen, on Sawen, she called me and she said, we have gotten the new batch of tests back and pretty much it's the end. Like there's nothing else they can do. And we don't know how long it will be, right? Devastating, devastating. Like so, so I was blown out. And I, I went down to this little botanical gardens down in Portland where I was living at the time in the middle of the city, middle of a city of a million people. And I sat on a bench overlooking this duck pond in a grove of pines and I just asked for help. I just was like, help me. Like, I don't know how to hold this. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw these huge wings and I thought it was hawk. And I was so grateful. So I felt a little bit, okay, okay, I'm not alone. And I think that that's a huge part of magic. Like I'm not alone. We are not alone. We cannot be abandoned. And then this, this little sweet little woman taps me on the shoulder and says, excuse me, but there's two bald eagles making a nest in the tree above you. Thought you might like to know. And then she saunters off. And my heart, it like one eagle feather, like it was all just, everything was just coming. Like the whole eagle narrative, this whole thing that had started years before started to come so close to me. And it was so loving. I watched for like an hour, this eagle couple cracking branches, carrying them, building a nest in this, in the winter, literally on Sawan. And it was like, such a deep, beautiful medicine because, and my mother died 34 days later. And on the day that she died, a pair of bald eagles were circling the land. And that was not common for that area. And they were there through the day of her ceremony and then they weren't seen again. And there's just a touch more to this story, but Oh, I want to wow. leave. leave. Yeah. I want to like, just like let it sit there. And I, I, I cannot really tell you that I will ever know exactly what one Eagle feather. That's all you need is one Eagle feather means. What I can tell you is that story and what I can tell myself and what I did tell myself in literally like the hardest, darkest hour of my life was was that story and that that is yeah the most magical story I've got, <laughs> I've got you know oh my goodness I have full body chills and tears and wow yes honoring this thank you for sharing so potent and powerful and wow I I'm trying to find my words to to honor what you've shared and so much there's so much first of all my condolences I lost my mom in her early 60s lost my dad in her his early 60s gone mm. too soon it's very tough to be in our younger years and facing that and from cancer as well I think too that in that death portal it opens up and it just keeps growing and a lot of very mysterious powerful unexplained and healing things do transpire. I love that the woman came to you and, and told you to, to look. And I love that your sweetheart was just like willing to be content with the sight of the wings and, and know that that was there for you, but not look further. And then another messenger came and said, no, take another look. And that was so important because as you said, the pair of them, because that 
it seems to be like that must mean something as well. I've never in my actual life seen an eagle build a nest on an eagle mm. camp I have, mm-hmm. let alone to fathom that in the middle of downtown Portland. Mm-hmm. Talk about the worlds colliding. And yeah, you know, when the animal medicine to me is just really profound, I think animal medicine acts quite quickly in, in many ways, and it tends to have a lingering effect as well. Yeah. I think that we'll find many of us that I've spoken to over the years find that there are different kind of groups of beings that we might be drawn to, that might be drawn to us. For some reason, animals have been that for me, and I'm unspeakably grateful. Yeah, like my gratitude for life in the midst of death. It's not only like that it was a medicine for me. It's not only that we make wishes and hopes that they'll manifest, but in their manifesting, we're actually shown something about our gifts, about our way of serving the world. So as we're manifesting, or like when I'm in manifesting, which can be anything from a simple wish, a desperate wish from a daughter to like a more elaborate ceremony, what I'm always tracking after is what is this showing me about myself? What is this showing me about my powers, my way of showing up in the world, my special gifts? What is it showing me also about my woundedness? That's a beautiful full circle observation. I think it's almost like saying thank you to spirit to take it to that next level because we can be served with sign after sign and portent after portent. Honestly, I find when I ask for them, spirit is so generous to provide. And then I feel responsible to follow up with that last piece. Mm -hmm. And I love the nuance of your questions because I think they go even deeper than some of the questions that we're prone to ask of what does this mean? But maybe more in, in triangulation of in a personal way, like what does this mean on a more personal level a more profound level? I think it has to do with connectivity as well. Like what is, what is my connectivity here? And when it's really loud and profound or real obvious that I feel like I'm more aligned than when I'm not. And I also too, I wanted to chime in and just say that Sky Nation is, I find that the messages that come from Sky Nation to be really, really quite, quite, I don't know, like the words fall short, but they, the, the birds always come to me in those moments where I just desperately need them. I just so desperately need that, that sign and Sky Nation will literally swoop in and show me thinking of so many times now (laughs) where they've shown up in the most unusual ways. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do. And they, they, they help you get, get, get a little beyond yourself, like a little past the, the hyper inner looking and the, which can become a little like desperate or overwhelming, or they help you give you the bird's eye view, literally. So of what's happening in your life. Mm -hmm. There's two anecdotes that have cropped up that I'd love to share. One really quickly, I was just getting ready to work with Raven many years ago and a deep dive of work with Raven around voice. And I had been in Oregon and Washington, I think, and I was driving home and to Montana. And I just was envisioning this raven flying ahead of me the whole way and just like scouting the path out and creating this portal that we would travel through safely and really making my connectivity with raven. We don't have a lot of ravens here. We have a lot of crows, but we don't have a ton of ravens in this area. And a couple of days after I came home from my trip, I was sitting in my living room and I looked out and there are are high tension power lines just on the boulevard right outside of my house. And I looked up and there is a raven (laughs) doing that little bird walk on the wire, one foot after the other side to side, um, looking in my window at me, looking through the stained glass window at me (laughs) on the wire. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I went outside, took a picture. There's like a little rainbow iridescence around the bird there. have never seen a a bird on that wire or a raven since, again, you cannot make this up. And it's a gift and you know it in the moment. And I think in our culture, we're really into doing. 
we're like obsessed with doing. And the thing is with mystery, it's so much about just being, just being with, you don't know, you will never know the full story. You will never know exactly how you just know that you've been blessed or your work or your project has been blessed, or you've been given notice or whatever you feel in your visceral body has just transpired. I just too was thinking about, because that one was, it didn't like, it, it didn't elicit terror, but I was like, whoa, this is intense. Yeah. And I think too, that a little bit of that piece is about being witnessed back by spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Like mirrored, like the natural mm-hmm. world. We, and it longs for us to mirror it. And when we mirror it, it tends to say, oh, oh, cool. Yeah. Here, let me do that back for you. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That being yeah, written like- by. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And working on receptivity for holding bigger and bigger experiences of mm-hmm. that or just being able to contain it. it doesn't have to be bigger and bigger it's it's about the intensity i could be visited by a field mouse and under the right circumstances that could be extraordinarily powerful you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely absolutely that capacity to hold it yeah and it's a muscle just like with the intuition and just with journey practice or with all of these things there's so much dichotomy because there's a lot of just being and allowing but there are tricks to doing or there are techniques to learning to doing as well yeah that's true and that kind of comes back to to that initiation part of the conversation around integrating what what's happened so that it can become gifts for the world or it can inform or enhance like our gifts for the world i think that's that is a great and important point and i also love your point about the mouse because i i did hesitate to tell this particular story because it's so big and it it's not always that way. Or like you said, the big doesn't always look like bald eagle. I've had, I've had deep encounters with like a stick that's mm-hmm. shaped a certain way. Things, things will show up. And in fact, it's, it's important to keep our eyes wide open for the little things. But what I love about this story, besides that it's obviously sacred, it's a holy story in my life, is also that magic is there for the real stuff, the big stuff. Like it's it's not just what we do in between. It's there for what's really hard and and heartrending and it actually has an incredible way of fortifying us during those times and that's why it is a practice just like any other spiritual practice absolutely and i think that the more we do our daily devotionals or whatever it is that we're doing to 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 meet our magic it's just it's the same to me as proper hygiene because I I have been on my knees in those moments and sent out the plea to the universe and then just had magical experiences usher in to hold me that I know made the difference between me being able to endure traumatic events and come out on the other side more healed than I may have been able to be without that magic. What you've been speaking of really, it, it calls to mind this moment. I was traveling home to be with my father before, well, as he was being put into hospice and he did not make it. He died the morning I was traveling home. Mm. And it was, it was all very unexpected because we were just coming together for a visit. He was sick. He was, but we didn't know he was that close to the end. And I think that, and he didn't, he didn't even know we were coming. It was like a surprise, but he just on, a, on another level, I don't think he wanted his girls to see him like that. And so I'm flying home and I'm in the Seattle airport. I'm in the Horizon Terminal, which is like a small town gathering if you live in the Pacific Northwest, because <laughs> there's flights going to and from all these little cities everywhere. And you are not, it wouldn't be unheard of to see someone you knew there. I called home. I, this was before I actually had a cell phone. This was back in 2006. And I used a payphone to call and just give an update on my travel. And that's when my mom told me that my dad had died that morning. Mm-hmm. And I was so angry with her for telling me because mm-hmm. I was 
all by myself in the airport Mm -hmm. and I was literally receiving the worst news of my life and I was just so alone. So I sat there and I looked and I prayed for a familiar face. As I said, it wouldn't have been unheard of for someone to be flying from Missoula or Helena or Great Falls or Boise or Seattle or Portland or Eugene or any of these places where I know people that I might have seen someone. So I was just desperately calling in a familiar Mm. face. Mm. No faces arrived. No one I knew showed up. I boarded the plane. I took my seat and I looked up and the man who was walking towards me looked just like Bill Clinton. (laughs) which was hysterical to me because my parents were huge Democratic supporters. They met in a political law firm in Washington, D.C. I've said it a thousand times. I owe my life to the nation's capital. So (laughs) I was like, of course, this is hilarious. Like, here comes somebody who looks just like Bill Clinton. Oddly enough, it was it did comfort me some and just give me that little nod from the universe. And I was in the window seat and got through the flight. It's a pretty quick flight, maybe an hour hour and a half tops. And I remember looking out over the clouds and uh, it was this gorgeous, sunny scene and just really heavenly. My father had been a fighter pilot in Vietnam and I just imagined him soaring out there. His soul was free. He'd really suffered through two rough cancer battles just above the clouds and in a liminal space. I just sent a beam of love out of my heart to my dad and just said, you're free and fly Mm -hmm. and I love you. The plane descended. We went below the cloud line. I was sitting under the wing and the, this is a little puddle jumper. So a tiny little plane, the landing gear comes out of the wing. Part of the landing gear comes out of the wing. So I saw this door, this flap open up Mm. and in the dirt on the door, somebody wrote the name Joe. That was my dad's name in a similar hand to his penmanship on the wing of that plane. (laughs) And I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I wish I had a cell phone because I would have snapped a photo of that, but I just, I just stared at it. And so it, Again, he came through. He came through. My dad, that was just the beginning. He, he's, he's, he's come through in many, many ways. But yeah, between the, the Bill Clinton lookalike and his name written on the wing of the plane, I was held. I was held. You were held. Yeah. That's, I'm crying now. Now I'm crying. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the thing about paying attention that we touched on earlier, when you, at least when you asked me what magic, you know, was about and just just it's it's a it's a nuanced thing as because you can't go around all day freaking out about every single thing you see it but when and it's a practice that's a practice too noticing noticing making wishes noticing what happens and that's just so beautiful yeah thank you for sharing that Oh, I'm so happy to have an opportunity to share that. I don't share that out very often. And I think back to that so many times, as I imagine you think back to the Eagles and they mm-hmm. had just, yeah, it, it really in that moment was such a balm and, and such medicine for my soul that it really did help me keep more of my soul parts in, I think. Yeah, yeah. To absolutely. allow me to move through the portal that was losing my father. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to, was there one last pacing around in that story that we were coming back to? There's one interesting, more recent development that I'll share, which is as this past solstice coming off of this really intense pandemic time we've all been in was a really special astrological event of the great conjunction. And I decided rather than knowing that whatever intention I set would would carry a lot of weight, I decided in, instead of sort of like this more, I don't know, tangible outward intention, I would just set this one intention to, to really devote myself to coming to know and embody whatever parts of ego medicine might be valuable to my people. I, I want to share that when I, when I did that, I didn't expect it to happen. But when I was in the midst of making that intention on the solstice, 
I had this really strong feeling of the one eagle feather of just making this one really deep devoted intention on this solstice. And I will add just that I don't think I could have gotten to that, that being the thing that I chose without some amazing mentors and guides. And when you asked earlier, like what advice to give maybe young folks, that, that really is, 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 the, is the other one I would, I would say, besides trusting themselves to find elders or those who are far enough along and, and are honest warriors <laughs> that can, yeah, mentor and guide you crucial on my journey. Yeah. Like very important human, human guides, of course, my, more than human guides, very important too, but those human mentors and guides. So maybe that's a good segue. <laughs> I agree. Yes. Find, find teachers, find guides and, and also find out what their lineage is. <laughs> and that's, that is so important because that would be, that would be another piece of advice that's been crucial on my journey, which is Find your indigenous lineage, no matter how far you have to go back, no matter how much you think it's lost. I trust you. It's not, it's not lost and it's waiting for you to find it. Just as you and I both know as Celts, as white women who have needed and to find our own indigenous ways in order to, to be authentic in our magic making and in our cultural healing endeavors. 100%. It was something I read in the book when I was first starting out about going back to what your ancestors practiced. I'll put it like this. Very, very few people have some kind of intact lineage going through conversions of Christianity and things like that throughout, in particular, all around the globe, really. But there, there's, like you said, there is a lot more there than we think. Many folk practices and many domestic practices have a lot of that magic hidden in plain sight. Folk tales and and fairy tales have a lot of information hidden in them as well. And it's just a process of going through and, and deciphering it and learning what we can. And we can always meet ancestors in journey practice as well. But yes, it's yeah, it's so vital to go back to what your what you know of as your roots and what you can learn there much much to be said about that, but yeah. there's a lot of healing and mystery and magic that happens when we do that process because we carry these ancestors in our DNA. We literally have them with us holographically. So you will be led, trust. You will be led in very authentic ways. And we can study with so many wonderful people, but we got to be grounded in our, in our own traditions. I do believe that, especially at this time. Absolutely. So... And it's kind of like there isn't one prescription that's do this and and it will all work out. You have to develop your intuition. You do have to engage your rational intellectual mind and study and learn. One does need to do the embodiment work and the practices of, of whatever it is that they're doing. We're speaking in, in much in the context of shamanic journey work. So that's what that's coming to mind to me. But yeah, there's. It, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into yeah. it. But it, as as we said in the very beginning, when you started to talk about what your impression of magic is, it is it is unique to each one of us. It is a bespoke creation that you get to craft for yourself. And back to the advice for beginners: just do that with integrity and seek out what is authentic to you, and and enjoy the ride. <laughs> Yeah. Enjoy the ride. Like, like as you face the, the harder sides of the entanglements of identity, also be opening yourself to, to the beauty of your complexity as well. And the richness inherent there for you. I think so many people of European descent don't think that there's much available to them, but oh my goodness, Mm. there's so much available. Mm. Girl, it's a whole. Look at the full costumes. Look at you. Just just get started. Oh, yeah, get started. Yeah, get for there. sure. Yeah, it's there. Great. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for this most stirring conversation. Wow. It's been a real pleasure, Amanda. I'm so happy that we had this opportunity to to share stories and to share experience and to hopefully um, give some guidance to listeners or and and hopefully some 
you know, full body chill moments too, because that's the good stuff. I love, I just, I, I love these to share these moments because I think that they really speak to our aliveness, to yeah. that part of being alive. So if listeners want to find you online, where would you like them to be directed? So folks can find me and my work at bombalore.com, B-O-M-B-I-L-O-R-E.com. And that is where you can find my different, my own mentorship offerings. I work with soul-led entrepreneurs and artists and just creative visionaries who are really wanting to answer that question, who am I? What am I here to do? And also, maybe almost most centrally to my work, how do I do it in ways that are more circular, more embodied, more feminist, and more earth-based? Yes, 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 yes. Oh, that sounds so good. Indeed. Mm -hmm. That circular path is definitely appealing and it's a very needed alternative to the linear ways that just don't work for a lot of folks. Yes, yes. So I also am just launching here on the Equinox, a new membership to journey with our creative cycles through the the wheel of the year. So tending different parts of the creative process that are illuminated in each season, but exist throughout our, our year, throughout any project. And having a place to what I'm calling a sanctuary or what the Celts would call a nematon, a clearing in the wood, a sacred place to just come and experiment with moving through blocks and working with gifts and challenges along the, the, the road to self-actualization. That sounds really rich and very, very alluring. Yes, friends, the light half of the year comes. So Mm -hmm. time to initiate our will in a different way. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Amanda. This has been a real pleasure and I will be sure to direct all of the listeners to your various places online in the show notes below. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. Take good care. This episode of Just Like Magic is brought to you by House Magic. Every year it is the same. I tell myself that the house needs to be in order, spick and span, organized, clean and tidy before garden season starts, or else I notice that the outside starts creeping inside. And I am determined this year not to do that. So I wanted to remind all of you about my program, House Magic. If you're needing a little help, say after this last year, tightening up and getting things ship shape, I can attest to the systems and the tracking program that is inside House Magic. Not only that, not only does it give you a framework, but it will guide you through doing all of these things from a magical perspective. Mundane chores don't have to be boring or without meaning. You can absolutely infuse magic into your housework. So check out House Magic, get your place tip top, and be ready for garden season this year.